0: Welcome to uh, the final EG session of, of day one here at MIPIM, uh, where we'll be looking at uh, um, building lasting income streams through BTR. And joining me on uh, this panel, I uh, have three experts um, I'm going to ask each of them just to give us a little bit of an overview, uh, introduction and overview in a, in a second, and then we'll delve into some numbers and and uh, what the sort of future of BTR looks like and the challenges uh, ahead. Um, so first, Rebecca, I'm going to pass over to you. Give, give us sure. a so, uh,
1: My name's Rebecca Taylor. I'm the Managing Director of Long Harbour's built rent business. Um, we are a fully integrated investor, so Long Harbor is the investment arm, and then we have a wholly-owned subsidiary called Way of Life who manage all of our assets. Um, to date, we've invested around about $800 million into the sector. Um, we closed a 20-year joint venture with PSP and Cadillac Fairview last uh, summer, uh, which gave us an additional $1.5 billion of capital. Um, we are in the middle of deploying that at the moment, so uh, we've got about 1,500 units under management, a pipeline um, of something like 4,500 units, um, and we can talk a bit more about the customer service kind of approach and the product in a bit.
2: Alex. Hi there, I'm Alex Note. I'm the placemaking and investment director at PFP Capital. So, we are the fund and asset management arm of Places for People, which is one of the largest registered providers, so social housing providers in the UK. We do every other sort of residential tenure that isn't social housing within PFP Capital. So, we have um, about 750 million assets under management that's predominantly in the core PRS, but we are on the journey to try and grow into the build-to-rent market. And uh, you know, it's taking rather longer than we would like, but it's coming. Um, and prior to being at PFP, uh, I was a, an advisor in the kind of wider build-to-rent market, but one of the things I did was the ULI-UK best practice guide around build-to-rent. So it's been a very interesting journey to see the policy changes over the past kind of 15 years. Thank you, awesome.
3: Hello, uh, it's Özlem Gökçe. Uh, I'm the managing partner of Corvus Invest. We are representing multifamily family offices from Turkey mainly, but also from the international uh, market uh, for their investments in the UK. Uh, mainly we are, our focus is uh, residential market and hospitality investments. Uh, also, uh, I work as the board member of anti UK, UK, uh, which is an international uh, contractor, uh, both active uh, in Russia, in the UK, in the USA market, and uh, as a developer in Turkish market. Uh, and uh, anti UK uh, has been in the UK market since uh, 2015. Uh, mostly uh, focused on the high-end residential market, but as well as uh, just uh, finished and uh, built to rent scheme in Seven Sisters. Fantastic. Thank you.
0: So l- let's start with those stats that I-, I mentioned. And this is just looking back at last year. So 2. Point f- sorry, wrong way. 5.2 billion invested in BTI in 2021. And if we go back pre-pandemic, that's more than double... 2019, which was uh, $2.6 billion, I think, if I can do my maths. Um, there are now 50 different players in the UK BTR market, 14 new entrants in, uh, in 2021. It was a record year for lettings last year, 10,000 lettings. The regions are racing ahead of London. So it sounds like BTR is the, is the place to be. But is it? I guess that's my, that's my first question. Is it, re- is it the golden ticket? Rebecca oh Alex was going to jump at Rebecca you go first
1: nothing's ever the golden ticket but I mean <laughs> everybody obviously rushed in during COVID because office has you know hit, hit, hit a low retail at its all-time low and student accommodation which has been one of our biggest accommodations obviously suffered by the fact that it only had a you know one binary kind of use so um, yes it, it, all of the things we've been talking about really for the last 10 years I think since the uh, The Montague report came out, are proving to be true, which is excellent. Um, But there are definitely challenges in deploying the capital, um, and I think, um, and actually just you know getting getting sites out of the ground. But you know, in terms of the performance that we saw in COVID, um, we saw a drop in occupancy, but we saw a drop in occupancy to around about 82% of our tenants. So, typically on a stabilised asset, we're at about 95, and then we start to push rents a bit. We actually did achieve rental growth in the darkest period of COVID um, across the portfolio, around about 2.7%. Mm-hmm. So, um, and as you say, in terms of record lettings and the like, um, we are now, uh, as of basically August last year, we bounced back pretty quickly, um, and all of our assets, particularly in the regions, uh, were pushing kind of up to 98%. So, I think you know that the proof is definitely there in the pudding, but it's it's not all smooth sailing in terms of the deployment.
2: Uh, Absolutely, everything that Rebecca says. I think just that the the thing, the word I always use when talking about it is granularity. It's just how complex and nearly residential operations are, particularly in built to rent. If you're trying to build a portfolio, it's you know it's so much about future proofing it around what the tenant is going to be, and it's not just the kind of the amenities and the bells and whistles, but just being able to have the platform that can cope with that. cope with the pricing changes that things like a pandemic might do with that and not fall over and I think that's where a lot of the capital that saw it as a quick thing to jump into would say oh we know how to do asset management and then they'd look at it and go oh actually this is this is a bit more complicated it's regulated very differently um, and so the other challenge is the planning and viability end. it's a kind of still a square peg in a round hole everyone can conceptually say we can see that this tenure creates additionality in the market it's not building very high-end product that lots of people can't afford or very poor, you know, it's something solid in the middle, but getting to delivery at scale, particularly in the UK is something we are really, really bad at because we're, we have such an individualistic planning system and the construction supply chain kind of pressures of recent years have really made it so, so difficult. So it, it's not a golden ticket, but if you can get it and you can get it stabilized, unless you've done something very silly it it works wonderfully which is where you look at mature markets like the US and you can see that stability but we are still you know we're past the point of proving the concept that built has a place in the market but I don't think we're into the point where it's it's embedded and established yet so how do we
0: move past proving the concept and actually um getting all the ingredients right lined up so we can um, make it a success, it's clearly a success, but there were lots of things hold, holding it holding it back. What do we need to do to just change that narrative a little bit?
3: Um, I believe that after uh, the pandemic, uh, our way of living, our way of working has changed considerably. So I mean, uh, Build to Rent uh, was a kind of uh, a good response uh, for that kind of change. And uh, also, it was a good way of uh, living, providing the tenants uh, with full service, easing up their lives. Uh, I mean, supporting them in, in their living. So, I mean, it, was, uh, it is also, uh, I mean, benefiting uh, for both for the tenant side and for the investor side. Um, I mean, uh, while providing all these amenities to the uh, tenants, uh, the investors also benefiting out of the, you know, uh, um, I mean, less vacancy rates, uh, long term tenancy contracts, and uh, more, I mean, uh, less volatile uh, investment. So, I mean, uh, it was, uh, I believe that it's a kind of uh, good response uh, for that change in our lives. And also, um, Uh, there is still uh, a big room for the regions to go for um, uh, built-to-rent development. I mean the statistics say that uh, maybe London itself representing the 40% of the whole uh, built-to-rent schemes, uh, it is in a kind of, you know, um, uh, shrinking the uh, pipeline in construction uh, of uh, built rent schemes, but the regions are in the uh, still in the growing uh, side. So um, this is because I mean uh, I think the uh, as a, from the developer's point of view, uh, when competition arises in some point in some location, then uh, you are losing when you are getting the land. Uh, And it is the most important part of a development, I mean, getting the land in good condition. Otherwise, uh, you cannot end up with a profitable product at the end. So um, the regions uh, at that point, uh, they offer uh, better yields, uh, and also um, they are uh, mostly um, less uh, rental stock at the moment, so uh, they are in uh, more need. Uh, and uh, I believe that it's it's going to be a, a growing market in the future, so investors get it, the occupiers
0: clearly get it. The the, um, the lettings go up, but there is a blocker, and it sounds like it's in the development process or so the planning process in particular. And if the regions can um, offer up all the space for, you know, there's a huge amount of money, isn't there, wanting to invest in in BTR, then. Then it could be the golden ticket, but that is the problem. Planning.
1: Yeah, it's perception, isn't it? Because I think Bill to rent, we didn't do a very good job early on promoting what it is. We talked about premium a lot, mm-hmm. and when uh, anybody in politics or talking about rental caps or you know the GLA or anybody else hears that word, uh, they think that means super profits. Mm-hmm. Also, when they hear the word investor, they kind of think. I think they think it's kind of greedy people, you know, rubbing their hands. Rubbing their heads is it together. Not? Well, it's <laughs> for us. It's pen, You know, I, I always look at it as our customer is the person who's renting the flat from you. You know, so the customer there, and then also your pension funds who you're actually employing. You know, we are pension fund investors, and why do they like it? It's because it's a stable, not volatile income. So, um, I think that's something we need to be better at, at explaining. The premium kind of side of things. I think we should be talking about quality, and it's quality of the offer that we're delivering in terms of size of apartment. Uh, finish of apartment, yes, the amenity, and then also the customer service. And we have to do that in order to make sure that we maintain this stable income and we can push rental growth as we're going through. That's why we're vested in, in doing that. Um, so I think you know a bigger education piece. I mean, on the positive, the levelling up agenda for central mm-hmm. government, built rent looks fantastic. On the negative, you know, uh, is is London, who should be attracting more international investments, are going to start losing out? So I, I think, again, it comes back to, as well, maybe thinking about what other different affordable housing products we can offer. Mm-hmm. It's a very binary, this is what affordable housing should be and you have to tick the box. Um, I, 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 we've identified one of the big issues that are missing out on all sectors are key workers. Mm-hmm. And they're the people everybody looked after in the pandemic, they're the people everybody focused on and have now all of a sudden forgotten. They can't afford a, a typical private rent and they don't qualify for the, you know, the earning caps and everything else. So I think there's something that, as a sector, we should start to be investing in and start to educating, not just on what the wider offer is, but how we can start to deliver different types of affordable housing.
2: And so exactly on that, we have a fund in Scotland, which is a mid-market rent fund. So in Scotland, they have a specific tenure that's not social rent, but it's kind of slightly, slightly sort of 80, 85% of market rent subsidised, and it's exactly targeted at key workers, which can quite often be not just nurses, but GPs, doctors, who who don't qualify for any other benefit but cannot live in the markets in which they're trying to work. And that, exactly as Rebecca has said, is a beautiful liability match for those pension funds who are trying to house their customers, but also it gives them stability, it's the diversification, it's the inflation hedge, all the things that that ticks those fundamentals. But it is a really high-quality, affordable, the small-a product. The frustration that I've had, I think, all the time in the policy context with built rent is that it's being looked to to fill the gap where decades of underinvestment in social housing has left. And actually, i say it is about additionality. It helps with wider affordability, but it is not an affordable product per se. And you know, the, the, there's a whole different session on like the myriad ways that we need to sort out the way we benchmark affordability in the UK. But that that is a real challenge in the system and the viability bit that can be so painful when you're trying to get a local authority to understand that this is about security of tenure for customers. That's one of the things that I think in the UK, premature termination of a tenancy is the second most common cause of homelessness in the UK. That complete instability where your landlord says, My daughter's coming home from university, I need that property back, off you go. Suddenly, you and your children, you're in work, you've got children, but you're out of, out of your property, you're out of the area that your kids are at school, and you're commuting, and suddenly you're living in the top floor of a premier inn, not qualifying for any social housing and offer list. I mean, that is the market that I believe Build Rent can absolutely serve. People, But people have this cultural idea that um, people at that level are either should be on the ladder to buying, which is a whole other kind of set of issues, or or that they should just wait their turn on a housing list. They don't get on a housing list. So it's just about getting that clarity through. I think if we did a better job, as Rebecca said, of explaining the benefits of security, quality, stability, and that there can be some amenity, and there's
1: always a place for that luxury level, but that's not all of it. But also luxury doesn't have to mean expensive. Exactly. So we were talking before, our asset that we just launched in Tottenham, we launched it last summer, um, it's actually done really well in the uh, non property press so it's been in wallpaper for the, for the design it's been picked up by a few other publications as well you would look at that and think premium must be expensive and our rents are head you know matched in line with our competitors you know in in that market um, and yes there's slightly more than the PRS but you're getting more for your money so you know in terms of the cost of living it's actually cheaper or in line with where, where you're at um, so premium or you know, quality doesn't necessarily have to be expensive, because if we all charge expensive rents, we're not going to fill the building up.
3: Uh, optimization of these uh, costs in the services and amenities, it's very important. I mean, uh, as I agree that uh, it's not necessarily to be expensive, but if you add up uh, for the life uh, comfort of the tenancy, tenants, uh, then it's going to be worth, uh, I mean, prime, uh, paying that money for them. But um, in order to, uh, I mean, uh, get to an optimum base on these services, uh, all the built rent schemes need a kind of volume in order to distribute according to the, I mean, tenants uh, living in that building or that development. So, I mean, um, it is uh, not like uh, for a tenant uh, dealing with one owner, one private uh, person for their uh, tenancy agreement and all these conditions, but uh, it's also uh, I mean managed by professionals in a good way that uh, these professionals are finding the best optimum uh, pricing uh, for them, uh, both giving the comfort uh, for the tenant and also uh, at the most optimum uh, cost base.
0: I, I, I wanna stick with the theme around education because everyone here has mentioned in in not always using that word but the need for people to understand more about what btr is maybe we shouldn't be using btr as a um as a uh, name for for this sector maybe we should just call it homes uh for for people um what do you think is the the key thing that we can do as professionals in the sector, as, as, the, as the press, to help educate local authorities, politicians, whoever it might be, maybe Joe Public, on, on what
2: BTR to use that um, is. So I think that there's two parts to that. There's one that, that the, the UK obsession culturally with home ownership and getting on the ladder and all the po- politics that goes with that despite the fact that we've seen, you know, the really pernicious scandal of of people trapped in flats that they can't now get a mortgage on because of the E1S and all the cladding issues. And actually, some people who've, you know, put all of their life savings, maybe their parents, their grandparents' savings, and, and are then landed with these astronomical bills and declaring bankruptcy, and in some cases taking their own lives because, you know... Promising ownership as a route to prosperity, I think, is a bit of a fallacy that we need to get our head around. But that is, that's bound up in lots of other political things that mean renting is quite often perceived as a second class or an interim state rather than something that actually you can do for a longer period or perhaps for all of your life. So that, that's the first bit. The second bit is, yeah, we have this awful word salad of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, build to rent was because the government were trying to differentiate it from stock that already existed in the wider PRS. But built rent and PRS are not interchangeable. You know, it is a distinct subset. And it's, it's, again, the market kind of wanted this label of something different because they wanted to be able to say we are the professional, the quality, the purpose built. It's not just something we're happening to rent for a bit. But we might flip into the sales market later. It will be rental in perpetuity. You're starting to see a lot more use of the American terminology, multifamily and single family. That's because that's what the investors are familiar with. But for me, that's that's sector when it's stabilized in your trading portfolios and we're just we're just not there yet to your point about we could just call it homes i mean in one sense that's great but um and i think from for a customer point of view they want that but i think it's what rebecca said about the professionally managed bit is the reassurance that an awful lot of the customers who come looking for it are looking for just that not even the amenities, but if something breaks, someone will come and fix it within a reasonable time frame. Like that is unfortunately 25% of the UK housing stock doesn't meet the decent home standard, and that is a floor level standard. So if we are in a situation where the wider PRS is in such poor condition, there is a reason that the Build to rent sector wanted that label to be able to say, "Look, we are not that." So I don't think it's the right name, and maybe my family, and maybe it doesn't need. A different name, but I think it's the point that renting can be better. It, it is, and there was a kind of a renting better campaign that the BPF ran for a while. And I think if we, the whole reason a lot of the policy officials got behind Build to Rent was because they saw that it was a way to pull through quality through the wider PRS, that you would lose premium tenants from kind of standard landlords into the Build to Rent sector, and they might then be encouraged to improve the quality of their stock. I'd like to think that that is something that we could be pushing for as a sector.
3: I see uh, built to rent schemes to be uh, more supported by the authorities uh, because of uh, several reasons. One of them is um, I believe that built to rents are the ideal uh, developments for the uh, urban regeneration projects because they can be the pioneer part of these projects. As they can attract um, and a higher level of uh, talent pool and uh, tenants uh, for their scheme because of the, I mean, uh, all these amenities, services, maintenance, whatever you name it, uh, security. So, um, I mean, it, they, uh, as I observed, they create a kind of uh, upper-scale quality when uh, compared with the neighbourhood that they are uh, taking a part of it. Uh, And especially the developers choose that kind of places uh, because of lower land cost, but also uh, they know that they can still attract uh, tenants uh, for their buildings. This is very good for the uh, authorities actually, for the municipalities uh, to start up with uh, urban regeneration projects. They can be the pioneer. Secondly, when uh, they give more uh, allowance for built to rent schemes in that neighborhood, uh, they kind of kind of guarantee that the vacancy rates uh, in the residences are lower than the usual, uh, I mean, sold uh, private houses or uh, privately rented houses, because uh, a kind of professional team is just uh, working for it, uh, as if in in a hotel, uh, to fulfill all the apartments in the scheme. This is good for the economics. Uh, also, um, being the pioneer in that con- kind of uh, urban regeneration projects is good for the economics of the neighborhood. They are attracting more quality people, more—I mean, uh, more connected people. So, I mean, uh, they are creating uh, also uh, a value for the economics of the neighborhood, and. Um, um, yeah, I think that uh, they should be somehow supported uh, for that reasons. Also, I mean, in the UK, a virgin market is, uh, we are all talking about multi-family uh, developments, but there is no uh, single-family uh, development uh, market in the UK at the moment. It can be the future uh, part of built-to-rent schemes. Uh, because of uh, maybe uh, people are uh, willing to get more service in their houses, not only in their flats. And there's a lot of that coming, definitely. That,
0: that makes sense as a concept, doesn't it? When you say it's a really good good pitch, and you would imagine that local authorities would be like, brilliant, yeah, sign them sign up, bring them in. Um, you know, it's bringing people to back to cities, back to towns. It's creating community, something that we, we hear about a lot, that we need, to, <laughs> we need to work a lot harder at. It's bringing... With the immunity, it will probably bring, uh, you know, retail, all sorts, back, to, back to, to places. But it's not happening fast enough, is it?
2: And I think it gets bogged down in the planning and viability conversation of exactly that. So, you know, Dan Batterton at LNG, who's one of the very kind of early stage, like Rebecca and kind of the LNG fund, says, you know, if I were building a, a shopping centre, the local authority wouldn't tell me what anchor tenant I could have. But I have to spend kind of 80 months, three years sometimes haggling over the quantum of affordability and exactly what mix. And actually, again, he's very proactive in taking people from housing list and doing a really substantial discount market rent product. But you can waste so much time being bogged down in that precise negotiation that it's almost in some – and I've seen some smaller developers do it where they just go, do you know what, we're just going to do a student building because it's sui so generous. There's no affordable debate. There we go. And then actually, that local authority has, by, by being awkward, has essentially lost the chance to have more additionality of, like, broader tenure housing. And so it really does need... It's very easy to beat up on the planning system and the local government, but it just needs a bit more embedding in the process. So there's guidance in the MPPF, the planning policy framework, to say you should recognise the distinct economics of built-in, that you should see it as part of your housing offer. But because we have this intensely individualistic system in the UK, everywhere interprets it differently. So you're kind of taking a lottery ticket as to what you take where. And to, to Oslam's point, actually the regions is a really interesting thing. There's the, re- the regional cities that have really pushed, you know, Manchester, Bristol, Birmingham, but what Rebecca's fund has done is really gone for the kind of the tier two, the, the large towns or small cities. And I think that's got a huge potential and often they understand it quicker would you say that's well I think
1: they're just a bit more open aren't they they need housing so our best performing scheme is actually in Leicester the rents there are 17 pounds 50 a square foot um, and the council were begging us to come in because actually it's the first time any scheme over 50 units has been delivered in Leicester because everything else was student accommodation um, so I think they're just a bit more open to it but it's interesting it's the only sector and in particular built to rent. Where everybody focuses on the income and the rent, and you know, you would never go to student comment accommod- They don't go to student accommodation providers. They don't go to hotels. They don't go to office renters. They don't go to the retailers and say this is how much rent you should be charging. It's just not even a discussion point. Even in the for sale scheme, even though there's discussions around affordable housing, no one ever would go to Barclay Homes and say, sorry, you can't pitch your. It's a free market. Um, and actually, everybody would look at it as a benefit and go, "Great! Well, it's bringing up the house prices in that area. So, isn't that fantastic?" Mm. It's the only sector where everybody focuses on the income. I mean, the biggest challenge though is now construction cost inflation, mm-hmm. access to land, like everything. Uh, yields are already tightening significantly with the weight of capital coming in, um, and and then you've got the viability issues. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think just you know we're all competing for the same sites at the moment. So we have two minutes left.
0: We've, we've talked a lot about challenges. Um, if there are any questions in the audience, do put up a hand? But if not, I will throw the last one uh, at you, which is, let's, what we, you've touched on an opportunity, so it's those um, second-tier towns, clearly, that everyone should be piling into because they're open to it. But where, where, are the, where are the low-hanging fruits, I suppose, for, for the sector?
2: I think what Oslin touched on and single family but with a kind of multifamily so build to rent operations. 70% of the US multifamily market is suburban, sort of low rise housing with good quality immunity that we would see as a kind of maybe like a town hall community center and like a kid's play area or something like fairly basic or maybe a sports ground. You know, know, again, that the volume house builders very frequently will say, no, we've built as part of our 106 this community center. We can't get anyone to take it on. We just want to get rid of it. Whereas a multifamily or a built rent operator would love that because that's a very easy amenity to manage. I I think that's the huge growth area. I would just like us to focus less on a category of investment by the typology of the building and more on just like the, the way that it's managed.
3: Um, I see actually one of the challenges uh, is the construction costs and the supply chain problems, especially occurred after the pandemic. And um, I see that uh, in order to speed uh, in the construction, the modular systems, uh, 2D and 3D, uh, can be one of the, um, I mean, points that uh, will be coming attached to the BTR schemes. I mean, uh, when you speed up the construction process, uh, as well as, uh, if uh, achievable, the planning processes, uh, then the schemes will be much more, uh, I mean, uh, feasible at the end.
1: Less about low-hanging fruit, more about the benefits, I think we need to talk about, or alignment with government. So speed of delivery through modern methods of construction, Uh, true ESG, not greenwashing and just talking about it, and that's the E and the S I think we really need to draw attention to, and the community within and the the building and actually the local community. Um, And then some of the points I talked about before around starting to look at the opportunity of different types of affordable
0: housing. Fantastic. So I think there's, um, you know, we started with a lot of numbers just looking at how successful um, BTR could be and is already here in the UK and there's clearly uh, a huge amount of opportunity there and I like this idea of it being a example of, of what good could look like, I suppose, in terms of home delivery um, that isn't Deliveroo or any others. Uh, um, but thank you so much for, for joining us.